Good day, Anchor. Welcome back to The Great Everything. It is the 6th of March, and there's a couple of things I'd like to talk about today, in brief. First of all, I'd like to send a big congratulations to uh, Abby Norman of Let Me Google That. Now, if you're on Anchor, you probably have come across the podcast, Let Me Google That. But if by some weird chance and freak occurrence you haven't, please go check it out. You really owe it to yourself. It is one of the best podcasts here on Anchor. It's uh, one of the very, very, very select uh, cadre of podcasts that I listen to and enjoy every day. So you should check it out. And the host of Let Me Google That, Abby Norman, is releasing a book today called Ask Me About My Uterus, A Quest to Make Doctors Believe in a Woman's Pain. It's a fascinating book that is tied, or is somewhat uh, coincidentally tied, to the Me Too movement. And this growing awareness in our society about uh, women's issues and the subjective experience of the other. You know, the fact that other people have experiences that are different from ours, but that are no less valid. And I think that the Me Too movement, its positive aspects, are the fact that us as males are beginning to have to confront the reality that there is a feminine experience of the world that is just not talked about the same way as um, as we are used to talking about things that matter to men. Is this uh, some sinister conspiracy of the patriarchy to keep women subjugated? Maybe. I don't think so. But it doesn't really matter. The point is that there's more than half of the world's population that isn't getting talked about with the same level of respect as uh, as they deserve, merely by virtue of their being human. And that's something that is really good about the Me Too movement, which, uh, as you know, I've also criticized for some of its downsides. But uh, none of the downsides here with Abby Norman and her book. So I actually interviewed Abby uh, last week. It was a two-hour conversation, a fascinating chat about her book, about feminism, and about the meaning of life. And I'll be publishing that uh, that conversation edited, of course, to keep it down to a manageable level sometime later this week. Uh, and uh, I hope you look forward to that. I'd just like to um, say that this interview, this conversation with Abby, is part of a series that I'm envisaging of conversations with other people on Anchor and elsewhere. And the purpose of these conversations is twofold. The first is, first is to broaden my repertoire is you know i do sometimes feel very self-conscious of the fact that i'm just yabbering my own opinions down into a phone subjecting and inflicting them upon you so i like to get some dynamism there by including other voices and other opinions on my show this was part of my new year's resolution some of you might remember and the second purpose is more to do with the real uh, mission of this show The mission of this show, ultimately, is that by listening to it, you might find different perspectives on how to become a better human. Becoming a better human, I think, is the meaning of life to me. But at the same time, I realize that everyone has their own version of the meaning of life. And everyone has their own version of what it looks like to become a better human. The obvious and rather banal example is that, of course, if you're in jail for having committed a double murder, Your version of becoming a better human means simply stop killing people. To other people, it means something different. The point is there's many different paths to virtue, as many as there are humans. And that also means that there are many different philosophies. 
Through these conversations with people I find interesting, I want to kind of uncover what matters to them, what aspect of life is meaningful to them, where they find meaning for their lives, how they conceptualize their life, and how they conceptualize self-betterment, improvement, and meaning within the narrative they've constructed about their lives. So one question I feel I ask people in these interviews is, who are you to yourself? What is, in this case, Abby Norman to Abby Norman? And then we take it from there. But what I'm really trying to uncover there for my own personal betterment is to try and find the philosophy in the words I hear from other people. So if you tell me about your life and what matters to you, whether we're consciously discussing self-betterment or not, becoming a better human or not, there is a philosophy there, and if I dig deep enough, I think I can find it. And this ties it all back to a grand theme that I explored early on in the life of the great everything, and that is the philosopher in you. That ultimately, if you approach life with an inquisitive nature uh, and a sense of awe and wonder and desire to understand and to improve, then no matter what you've studied or even if you've studied, you are a philosopher as far as I'm concerned. So um, this is going to be a series of interviews, starting with Abby Norman, to uncover the philosopher in each of us. And uh, I hope you enjoy that first conversation, which you'll hear sometime this week. But uh, I'd also like to hear from you if there's anyone you think I should be interviewing. And uh, if you think that that is you, <laughs> by all means, uh, let me know and tell me why. Because I'm always looking for interesting perspectives. I really want to broaden the great everything. You see, the, the point here is that if it's the great everything, it can't just be the great Patrick. There needs to be other voices in it too. And uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be Hume or Einstein speaking. Sometimes it can be an Abby Norman who is releasing a fantastic book today, Ask Me About My Uterus. If you hear this and you like Abby, please go over and congratulate her too. And uh, yeah, that's about it as far as uh, Abby Norman and Ask Me About My Uterus is concerned. But another important human being was born today. Not that I mentioned any other human being that was born today. But uh, that is the greatest artist of all time. Michelangelo. Now, as I look out, literally from where I'm standing now in my apartment in Rome, I can see the top of, uh, of St. Peter's Basilica, just peering up from behind the rooftops. And it's, a, it's an awe-inspiring sight every single time. The reason I love talking about Michelangelo is because these great artists, these great thinkers, these great musicians, the great contributors to our art, our culture, and our knowledge are a fundamental step in our betterment as a civilization. And I think that we, if we are consciously to improve ourselves as individuals, we need to be familiar with the great ideas and movements that have formed our civilization. Because much like the scientific method, our path through history is hopefully or should be a series of, um, well, trial and error. And we, have, uh, we should have error-corrective mechanisms to uh, make things better, to ensure positive progress. What that means is that there's all these different ideas that are tried out. Some, some fail, but some improve. And we need to understand the ones that really did work. In the case of Michelangelo specifically, it's the Renaissance. Was the Renaissance his idea? No. But he was easily 
its highest figure, its greatest exponent, the one who moved us away from centuries of self-hating and body shaming that was inflicted upon us by the church and took the human being front and center and said, look at yourself, you are beautiful, you are powerful, you are an individual, you are in God's image. There is nothing about yourself to be ashamed of. So dare to understand, dare to learn, dare to be beautiful, dare to admire yourself. And that was the first major step away from the Middle Ages, the Dark Ages, towards that wonderful path of progress, which through its many downs, of course, we've had some terrible tragedies in the past 600 years, but it was a step in a path of progress that took us from the Renaissance to the scientific revolution, to the enlightenment, to the industrial revolution, to this wonderful age we're living in, which uh, yes, we sometimes describe in terms that are negative and pessimistic, but as Obama said in 2016, at the end of the day, if there was any time you could choose to live in history, you should probably choose to live now. And Michelangelo was an early step in making that positive. So uh, next up, a few words on why I love Michelangelo. Cowabunga dudes and welcome to The Great Everything on the 6th of March. Next week I'll be in Rome for my quarterly pilgrimage and from my balcony there I can see the dome of St. Peter's Basilica, one of the most recognized and copied landmarks in the world. Today it's still the tallest building in the Eternal City because in deference to its majesty there's a law saying that no building in Rome can be as high. The man who designed it was born today in 1475, Michelangelo Bonarroti, the greatest artist of all time. A man so exceptional they called him divine in his own lifetime, il divino Michelangelo. From sculpture to architecture to painting, nobody else created as many monumental masterpieces and in so many different fields. And coming after centuries of repression and body shaming by the church, no artist has done so much to show us the true beauty and promise within the human form. He started working in Florence under the patronage of the powerful Medici family. So he had all kinds of special privileges, like being able to study anatomy by accessing dead bodies, which the church prohibited. And this understanding of the human body shows in his work, with its skin stretching over vein and muscle, Michelangelo's statues are marble turned into flesh. Take the Pietà, completed when he was only 23 the famous statue of the Virgin Mary cradling the dead body of Christ. Google it and see how lifelike it is in the softness of Mary's drapery and how natural Christ poses. See where her hand holds him up by the armpit, how his flesh bulges upwards. And note his body's complete lack of resistance, the peacefulness of death. And be amazed that this was carved out of a single block of marble like Michelangelo wasn't creating it, but freeing the bodies from the stone they were trapped in. Pure magic. Then you have perhaps the most famous statue in the world, the giant of Florence, the David, standing proud at 16 feet, seen not as a meek shepherd anymore, but as a determined hero in the moment of his decision to fight Goliath. And what about his Moses? 
towering, stern, powerful. It's more Zeus than Moses. The stories say that Michelangelo was so in awe of the perfection of his work that he struck the statue's knee, crying, Perché non parli? Why can't you speak? Yet as great a sculptor as he was, his greatest work is in the Sistine Chapel. If you've never been inside, all I can compare it to is the feeling of sheer majesty you get when you're at the Grand Canyon. 6,000 square feet of frescoes, with over 300 figures in scenes from Genesis, each a masterpiece. And at the center, the creation of Adam, with the benign God granting the spark of life to man in his original purity, all beauty, innocence, and pride. You look up and the whole room is packed with detail. All this on a ceiling 60 feet high. For four years of his life, he painted standing up with his neck turned upwards on a scaffolding he had to design for the job. Lit only by candlelight, inhaling toxic fumes from the mixing paste. But it was worth it. The presence, the drama, the color, it's more than words can describe. So I've linked to a TEDx video about it instead. Check it out. The ceiling was immediately hailed as a triumph. The next 50 years of art history were pretty much just other artists reacting to it, trying to deal with that level of magnificence. Decades later, he returned to the scene of the crime and decorated the front wall of the chapel with his last judgment. But where the ceiling was all the purity and optimism of the Renaissance, the last judgment is terrifying. Coming at a time when the church's counter-reformation was obscuring that original promise. A darker art for a darker age. Now think about all these works. The Sistine Chapel, David, the Pietà, Moses, St. Peter's. Most artists would give their life to be able to produce just one. He created them all, and many, many more. Michelangelo was a man of harsh temper, frustrations, terrible passions and doubts, but also of majesty and grandeur. And there are few people in the history of humanity who have made a greater contribution to our art, our culture, and the way we view ourselves and our potential as mankind. Much like God granting the spark of life to Adam, Il Divino Michelangelo restored our self-respect.